Our scripture reading today is from James, starting in chapter 4, verse 13. Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay to the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who is not opposing you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Morning. I want to talk uh, this morning on the subject of time, how we, how we think about the future, how we understand the unfolding of the years, just how we, how we view the passing of time. And the reason I want to talk about that is because we've, we are working our way through the, the New Testament book of James, and that happens to be the subject that James deals with today. He talks, he talks about time. So to help us um, just explore this idea, I want, to, I, want to talk, I want to touch on three things. First, I want to talk about something that's uncertain, all right, something that's uncertain, then I talk about something that is certain, and then finally I want to talk about something that can be certain. So something that's uncertain, something that is certain, and something we can be absolutely sure about. So we'll start to begin. What, what is so uncertain in life? Well, says James, your entire future is uncertain. Your whole future. Uh, you, what he means is you, you are not absolutely sure what your life will be like five years from now, five months from now, five days from now. In fact, James says, verse 14, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. And, and you'd agree with that, right? I mean, that's, we don't think about that a lot, but that is the reality we live with as human beings. We, here's our reality. On any given day, our entire lives could, could change, right? Today, today could be the last day that you are not in a wheelchair. Last day you can walk. Singles, um, this could be the week you meet your future spouse. Don't get too excited. You don't know what they're like, right? Um, <laughs> believers, this, this, this coming month, you might have a spiritual breakthrough with the Lord that would forever change your relationship with the Holy Spirit, all right? Now, the reason I say this is because 
these things have happened to people and they weren't planning on them. They weren't expecting them. Uh, on any given day, our life could change. And, you know, to, uh, not to be too grim, but on any morning that we wake up, we could be starting the day that we die. That's just, I'm, I'm not trying to be overly dramatic, but that's just, that's the reality that we, we live with. We all know these things, so you could be asking, all right, if we all, if we all know these things, why even bother to point them out? And the answer to that is, would you agree with this? We, we all live in kind of denial of this. We just, we don't want to think about how uncertain life is. I, a few years ago, I heard a, an, it was an interview with a retired elevator repairman, and he said that in about 80% of the elevators in New York City, the closed door button isn't even hooked up. It doesn't work. And so the, the question, obviously, is why do we have these buttons on the elevators? And he said... People like to feel that they're in control, right? And uh, it's the same way with time, isn't it? We like to feel that we are in control of time, that we can make plans and we can set our schedule. and We can even, we can even just kind of have this, this life script for ourselves that we map out what's going to happen in the years to come as if, you know, if we just plan it, it's going to take place. And, and, uh, but that's not true. It's a form of denial. And James, he confronts that in, in uh, this passage. Starting at the, verse 13, he says, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, make some money. He says, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. In fact, he says, what is your life? You are a mist. You are, you are the steam on the bathroom mirror. Five minutes later, you go back, it's gone. He said, you, you, you're here for a moment and you don't know how long you will be. So he says, you ought to be saying, if it's the Lord's will, we will do this or we will do that. Now, I, I want us to understand what James is saying here, what he's not saying. He's not saying it's wrong to make plans for the future. In fact, if you've, if you've ever read the book of Proverbs, you know that um, planning, strategic planning is commended by God, a prudent thing for us to do. He's not saying it's wrong to engage in business and earn money. Again, you'll find places in the Bible where that kind of activity is affirmed. And he's not saying that every time you use the future tense, you have to add this little phrase at the end. Lord willing, you know, what are you having for lunch? Chicken salad, Lord willing. You know, it's not, it's, he's not saying that there's magic words. In fact, you'll often read in the epistles, in the book of Acts, the apostles will lay out their future plans. They don't always say, Lord willing. So what, what is he doing here? Well, he's warning, James is warning us here not to allow an arrogant attitude to develop within us. Not, he's saying that when you act as if you are in control of what's going to happen in your future, you're taking this, this kind of a, this presumptuous approach to time. He says what this is is pride because you, are, you may not be aware of it, but you are placing yourself in the position that's occupied by God. Listen, God is in control of the future. You aren't. You're not. And so he's, James, he's warning us here against pride. In fact, that's what he talks about, verse 16. He says, he says, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. 
So he's, he's warning us, just don't have a, a proud, presumptuous view of toward the future. And if you remember, uh, if, if you were here last week, you'll understand why this is so important to guard our hearts against pride. This one verse we looked at last week, verse 6 of chapter 4, he said this, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I don't want to have God opposing me. And so, so James is saying, listen, don't, don't allow this attitude toward the future that you think you can plan everything, it's all going to work out, you can control it. Don't let that develop in your heart. Now, a good question, I think, for us to be asking ourselves is, how would I know if that attitude's starting to develop in me? How would, I, how would I know if that's happening? And I think an answer to that is this. Ask yourself, how, how do you respond when things don't work out? How do you respond when, when you're disappointed? Um, do you, okay, you planned to be married by this time of your life, and you're not. You planned to enjoy good health your whole life, and you don't. You planned on your children's turning out a certain way. You had it all planned for them, and they didn't, right? You planned to make it through that red light, and that guy stopped in front of you. How do, how, in other words, how do you respond every time some plan of yours doesn't work out? Do you freak out? Do you get angry? Do you beat yourself up, condemn yourself as a failure? Or are you able to just say, you know what? God's in control. I'm going to quiet my heart. I'm going to trust him. Now, I don't always pass that test. Let me just be honest with you. But it's, it's a way of testing. Am I beginning to have this proud, presumptuous approach to the future? Or am I just saying, you know what? I'm not in control. But God is. I can trust him. There's this old song. What is the line? Um, Many things about tomorrow I don't claim to understand, but I know who holds the future, and I know he holds my hand. That's, James is not trying to beat us up here about the future. He's just trying to invite us into a life where we're able to trust God. He's in control. So anyway, there's, there's something that's uncertain. That's the future. James also says there's something that is certain. What is that? This is a little grim, but here's what's certain. Someday you're going to die, and you're going to be judged by God. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen Wednesday. We don't know what's going to happen Friday. We don't know what's going to happen a year from now. But we do know that someday, either God is, Christ is going to come back, or everyone, of, everyone in this room is going to die and be judged by God. Hebrews, is it Hebrews 9.27? says, it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this cometh judgment, right? Uh, every one of us will sta- someday stand before God and be judged. So in, in, in starting at verse 1 of chapter 5, James addresses a particular group of people who it seems that they were forgetting this. Some very affluent people, people who lived lives of, of comfort, lives of excess, and yet nevertheless they were just turning their backs on the needs of the less fortunate. And, he, and he, James says to them, verse 2 and 3, your wealth has rotted. Now if your wealth has rotted, it means you, you weren't using it. It wouldn't rot if you were using it. It's just kind of wasted. You didn't need it. He says, your wealth has rotted. Moths have eaten your clothes. Um, I don't know a lot about moths, but I know they never eat your clothes while you are wearing them, right? They eat the clothes you don't need. They eat the clothes you have, you have, have kind of tucked away in the back of the closet. So he's talking about 
people who have excess, they don't need, it's going to waste. He says, your gold and your silver are corroded. And then he says this, their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. So I wonder, who, I wonder whom James had, had, James had in mind. He's thinking of some people of his day who apparently had um, more than they needed. And he's saying to them, guys, all this stuff that you hoarded that you didn't need, someday, all of that stuff, it's, it's, it's going to climb up into the witness stand in God's court, and it's going to testify for the prosecution against you. Now, if you've been with us in this study of James, you understand how, how serious that charge is, that you failed to help the poor. One of the themes of the book of James, again and again, he talks about the responsibility of the haves to care for the have-nots. For example, chapter 1, verse 27, James said this. He said, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself by being polluted by the world. So James says, listen, the only kind of religion God is even interested in at all is people who keep themselves from becoming worldly and materialistic and who really help the poor. Again, chapter 2, he said this, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs. He says, what good is it? So James here, is, he's leveling a very serious charge against a group of people who, who have more than they need. They're not helping the poor. And he's saying, guys, don't you realize you can't keep that stuff forever? And you will answer for it someday. When I was a, when I was a kid... There was, in, the, in the 70s, there was a show on TV called Sanford and Son. Anybody ever see Sanford and Son? Sitcom? You've seen it. Uh, it's, uh, the two main characters in Sanford and Son are old Fred Sanford and his adult son, Lamont. And Sanford and his son ran a, a scrap yard, a junkyard in, uh, in Compton in L.A. And it was just this junky old place with all kinds of scrap metal. They kind of lived in, in, in this, it was really not very nice, okay? And if you remember the show, Fred Sanford, the father, never did any work at all. He just sat around, watched television, complained about people. He made his son Lamont do all the work. And once in a while, Lamont would grow disenchanted with that arrangement, and he would threaten his father, I'm going to leave. I'm going to go get a real job. I'm moving out. I'm, I'm not going I'm to live here anymore. And uh, Fred Sanford would just kind of throw out his arms, look around, and say, you're going to leave all this? You're going to leave all this? And the joke was, he was serious. He lived in squalor. He thought it was a kingdom. And he said, are you going to leave all this? Now listen, imagine Fred Sanford comes to your home this afternoon, and you show him everything you have. You show him all the sneakers in your closet. You show him all the, all the clothes that are hanging there. You show him your television. You show him your computer. You show him the, you know, the pictures on the wall. If you have a car, you show him your car. Then you go online. You open up your bank account. You show him all the money you have in savings. And Fred Sanford's asked you that question. Are you going to leave all this? Listen, what's the only honest answer you can give him? Yes. 
I'm going to leave all this. All of it. I can't take any of it with me. It's, uh, none of it is permanent. And so James here, he's confronting some people who've just, they're forgetting this. They're thinking the things they own, what they have is permanent, and that they will never, ever, ever have to stand and give an account of it, what they've done with it, to God. So here's our reality. Most of the future is uncertain. I don't even know for sure if I'll ever finish this sermon. I might just go on and on. Or I might have a heart. You, you never know if this will end, right? But we knew, do know someday this is certain. We will. Well, here's what the Apostle Paul said, 2 Corinthians 5.10. He said, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for the things done well in the body, whether good or bad. There's no getting out of that. We will all be judged. Okay? Uh, and here's what the Bible tells us. Not only will we be judged for what we've done with our money, we will be judged for what we've done with our time. We, we, we will be, Jesus said, we will be judged for the way we treat, remember he said, the least of these, his brothers and sisters. We'll be judged for our words. In fact, Jesus said even our thoughtless, throwaway phrases. We'll be judged for our thoughts, our secret ones. We, we will be judged for those things God told us not to do. We did them anyway. We'll, we'll be judged for those things God told us we must do, and we, we left them undone. And Jesus said this, we will even be judged as to whether or not we were for, willing to forgive those who sinned against us. We, that's certain. We'll be judged. Now, if you are, if hearing that doesn't make you at least a little bit scared, either you're not really listening to me or I'm not doing a very good job this morning. All right, because this ought to fill us with this, um, this sense of seriousness about time. Every tick of the clock that goes by, something is happening in our life for which we will someday give an answer, for which we will someday give an account. Every day we will answer for. Um, that's a little scary. So what's, what's uncertain is what's going to happen at 4.30 this afternoon. What's uncertain is the future. What is certain is we will stand before God. And here's, here's, what, here's something that can be certain. Something that can absolutely be certain is, listen to me, I want you to hear this. No matter how we might have failed, no matter how much time you might have wasted on things that are not honoring to God, you can be certain that God has forgiven you. You can be certain that someday when you are judged, you will be accepted. You will be received with, with arms open, certain that you will someday spend eternity with, with God. There's, there's a way to be certain of this. And uh, let me explain. James, we don't know a lot about James, he was a leader in the early church. He was a preacher of the gospel. Listen, when a preacher of the gospel tells you about the coming judgment, it's not because he wants you to despair, right? James writes here about the, the, the judgment because he knows sins can be forgiven. Were you here last week? 
James 4, verse 7 and 8, I love these words. James said this, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. I love that last phrase. He's just saying, listen, I'm promising you, if you turn from your sin and draw near to God, trusting in Christ, God is not going to run away from you. God is not going to close the door on you. God himself will come running to you. God will draw near to you. Next week, the very final verses of James, he says this, my brothers and sisters, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, he says, whoever turns a sinner away from the error of their ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. So James, he's a man that has this, this confidence. Sins can be forgiven. A wasted life can be redeemed. Wasted time can be restored. He just has this confidence. Now, how is he so sure of this? Well, he knows this. He knows that when Jesus came into this world, when the second person of the Trinity took on human flesh, the eternal one entered time. Now, it's hard to understand that. The one who had never, ever been bounded by time, willingly let himself be subjected to it. The, the unaging, the ageless one began to age. He, he, he came into our realm of time. And why did he do that? Jesus did that. The immortal one came to die, right? On the cross to take the place of any of us who will very simply just trust in him. Say, Jesus, I have wasted so much of my time, of my life. I've just done on stupid pursuits, on, on wrong things. I'm just so, t- I'm so sick of the way I've wasted my life. But you gave your life that mine can be restored, redeemed, forgiven. And here, I'll just close with this thought. I don't even know how to, I don't even know how to contemplate this. The promise of the gospel is that if we trust Christ, turn to him, He will give us eternal life. If you're just going to sit and think about what what will it be like to have life that never ends, time that never runs out, just you'll never have to say goodbye to someone. You'll never attend a funeral ever again. Just for a lot of people love that one line. Don't you? Don't you? Are you intrigued by this? Um, that one verse of Amazing Grace. When we've been there, ten thousand years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing His praise than when we first begun. The promise, Jesus, the Eternal One, entered time, so that those of us who are crushed by time and crushed by our failure to use time wisely so that we can be redeemed and have eternity. Let's let's pray together. Lord, would you guard us, guard me from a foolish, foolish, presumptuous view of time. I ask you to forgive me for my wasting of time. Forgive us. Redeem our time. Give us eternity. Do this for your glory. Amen.